Hello and welcome to the Food Navigator podcast, your deep dive into the issues shaping the future of food. I'm Food Navigator journalist Flora Southey, and in this episode, we're braving the last of the winter with some hot drinks. This here is a warm, cocoa-rich hot chocolate. Or perhaps you're more into flat whites. You know that double-shot milk-based coffee that both Australians and Kiwis claim to have invented. Anyway, we're not getting caught up in that debate. It was the Aussies. Today, we're talking hot beverage trends. From single-origin tea to pour-over coffee and completely traceable hot chocolate from bean to cup. Let's start in retail. What is literally hot right now on shelf? We spoke to Jennifer Creevy, head of food and drink at Consumer Trend Forecaster WGSN, to ask that exact question. So one of the things that uh, we've been talking about for some time now is post-Arabica coffee. You you probably know yourself that Arabica crops, you know, they account for about 60% of all the, the coffee in the world right now but they are being becoming impacted dramatically by rising temperatures, extreme periods of rain, so climate change, essentially. So we're looking at a world beyond Arabica, so it's not like it will disappear overnight, but you know, what can we do to protect coffee, which is one of our much-loved hot beverages, of course, uh, but also look at what else is out there. So we've been doing some work into this and really looking at what the options are. So one of the options is Robusta coffee and the rise of Vietnamese coffee in particular. So Robusta has traditionally been used for instant coffee, so hasn't necessarily had such a sort of high quality expectations as as Arabica. But that's really changing quite dramatically. And particularly in, in the US, there are sort of quite a lot of Vietnamese cafes popping up using Robusta coffee. So it's really getting a, a kind of new lease of life. So that's a really interesting one to follow. But also with the sort of climate resistance movement, um, there are also innovators looking at different types of heirloom coffee and also going further into the future, things like molecular and cell generated coffee we're quite excited about for the future. Another trend that we're looking at as well in terms of hot beverages, as you as you asked, is single origin Chinese teas. Um, So we're really looking at, you know, what's the next wave of the craft tea movement? And this is one that we're seeing obviously coming out of Asia. So consumers really looking for that craftsmanship, those complex flavours, and then also the wellness benefits, which are really offered by these different varieties of single origin Chinese tea. So you know yourself that... um, you know, wellness and health is obviously really key for consumers right now. We're still, you know, living with coronavirus. It's still that immunity is really top of the agenda for lots of customers. And, and tea is one of those drinks that is, you know, that wellness community alive. Uh, so we're really seeing this movement being led by sort of influencers like there's a Singaporean millennial tea practitioner, Kenny Long, who's really introducing Chinese tea culture sort of rituals to a new generation, essentially. And then we're seeing kind of premium global tea brands really sort of taking over, really showcasing the provenance and and really sort of talking about the wellness of these single origin Chinese teas. So what is influencing some of these trends? 
we we talked a little bit around wellness and and the single origin Chinese teas, but you know it is really still front and center for consumers. Um, and actually, sort of post pandemic, people are really prioritizing themselves, their self care, the care of their families and their communities ahead of things like work. Um, so one of the trends that we are we are highlighting for the next couple of years, we've called intentional wellness. And this is really sort of tea, could be something else, but tea is really important here. Tea and kind of mindful rituals. So sort of specialty East Asian teas are coming to the fore. We've got brands like Green Caffeine in Australia or Three Gems in the US, really providing the tools and the kits to create sort of Japanese chado and Chinese gongfu tea ceremonies. So really it's really consumers bringing wellness into the home and into these kind of ritual moments throughout the day or throughout their week um, to really prioritize their wellness. So we're, we're seeing that um, come to the fore more and more as part of that self-care um, ritual that people now have. I'm wondering if you've noticed the hot beverage category influencing other sectors. Yes, I think um well, the, the ready-to-drink sector, so the sort of canned drinks, is still exploding, lots of innovation around that. So I think many of the hot drinks like coffee and tea are being transformed, obviously, into chilled options for cans. And we're seeing a, a lot of innovation here. Um, and I think there's just so much more to go for in, in that category. And it's not just the sort of chilled um, cold coffees. There's lots of functional ingredients coming through, lots of adaptogens, lots of nootropics, health ingredients. So I think, yeah, we're seeing a movement from sort of hot to cold in that respect. But then I think in terms of teas, I think, again, coming back to that wellness point, a lot of the ingredients that are used in some of these teas and now moving into the snacking category. So, you know, some of the traditional wellness ingredients like ginger, hibiscus, jasmine, for example, which you would associate with teas, we're now seeing in lots of different snacks. So again, if, if consumers are on the run, if they're, if, they, if they're sort of out and about and they just want a little wellness snack, you know, a self-care snack, they're going for these types of whether it's even a chocolate bar, for example, or a nutrition bar, or even a small meal that have some of these health benefits as well. Jen, how do you expect the category to evolve in the coming months or even over the next couple of years? Well, I guess, first of all, the wellness category itself will become more and more established. So um, the sort of hot teas they will, the, and the ingredients that they use will only sort of be it will just explode so lots more health benefits uh, within these teas but I think the other side of the sort of influence there is the sustainability element so I think what we'll see is whether or not it's post arabica coffee what that robusta will look like it will be climate positive drinks essentially so you know we're already seeing carbon labeling coming in on lots of lots of drinks and lots of snacks but it will be we'll be going for something that we know is sustainable, we know is regenerative, as well as being good for ourselves. 
So I think, you know, we we have a, a long love affair with coffee. We don't quite want to give it up, even though we're worried about sustainability. So we will be looking for options that are regenerative and, and, uh, and much more sustainable. And then on the sort of tea side, we are looking for those ingredients that are really going to help us ease anxiety, ease stress or mood boosting, things like that, really, to to um, to make sure we're looking after ourselves and the planet. I couldn't cover hot beverage trends without homing into coffee and coffee culture in general. I'm a proud Melbourneian, so on a recent trip home, I thought I'd get the lay of the land from a barista working in the so-called coffee capital of the world. Before the espresso-loving Italians or people from coffee-producing regions like Brazil or Colombia chime in, Melbourne has this reputation because the city is completely obsessed with coffee. It has more coffee shops per person than any other city in the world. I caught up with Josh, who co-owns Path Melbourne Cafe in the suburb of North Melbourne. We were chatting outside on a busy road, so please excuse the noise of the traffic and trams. Path Melbourne is Melbourne's first specialty black coffee bar, which means no milk, no lattes, no flat whites, absolutely no cappuccinos. And actually, on the topic of milk, or lack thereof, Josh shared a fresh perspective on Melbourne's coffee reputation. Melbourne is is still very much so like a, a milk drinking coffee culture and other parts of the world I think are ahead of Melbourne in like pour over and, and espresso which is what we focus in here so we feel like we're we're pushing something a little bit different in Melbourne even though we're a coffee shop in you know the coffee capital um, we're still finding ourselves explaining what we do a lot. When we first opened, it was a lot of talking, a lot of explaining, sorry, we don't do this, this is what we do. Now it's, as we've kind of grown a name for ourselves, people come in and already know what we do and, and what they want, or they've sussed our menu online or something like that. So we find ourselves within the specialty coffee industry, but also kind of standalone in a number of ways as well. So um, now showcasing coffees from like amazing roasters like La Cabra, April, Manhattan, these kind of like Gardelli, these big European roasters that are doing amazing things in the specialty coffee industry and really moving it forward. They're all coming from mainland Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, we have people coming in here just wanting to try their coffee because they've just heard really amazing things. And then we kind of focus more on small local micro roasters um, which we put ourselves in there now because we're roasting coffee on that same scale so I think the quality in Melbourne is coming like not only from the big ones but a lot of micro roasters and smaller roasters and then the big ones in Europe seems seem to really be able to um, translate their quality as they grow and the, the quality doesn't drop off as they get like into that you know big upper echelon roaster so as you've heard Path Melbourne is big into specialty coffee, but flavour profile aside, I asked Josh what other benefits specialty coffee is bringing to the industry. Yeah, the beauty of specialty coffee, I guess, is the transparency between kind of every stage of the production level and serving level. So, you know, a lot of the coffee that we get, we can, if we really wanted to, we could send a message via Instagram to the farmer or you know, the producer or the washing station or, you know what I mean? It's very transparent. You, 
you get to see the face on either the box or the info on someone's website of, of the farmer and producer. Um, you know their name and, and so the transparency there is, is huge comparative to like commodity coffee where you know it might just have a vague label on it saying it's you know fair trade or whatever and you don't know anything past that really but in specialty coffee it's it's very direct from farmer to roaster to to cafe we've found that being like such a cool aspect of of what we do and and now we're roasting as well and beginning to like you know curate our own list of, of coffees and buying grain from you know Australian specialty coffee importers and um, and getting to know that like kind of depth of um, of buying coffee has been really cool so yeah the transparency at the moment is I mean social media helps with that like you know it's closing the world in more in and more in so so now a lot of a lot of farmers and producers like have their own Instagram accounts or Twitter accounts or you know websites and stuff so um, well they pretty much all do so so yeah it's it's I think that's only gonna improve and, and, and grow so yeah I think people some people get stuck in the ways of like I'm paying four dollars for a coffee no matter what but that's you know there's no real progression there and I feel like when you come to specialty coffee spots like us and you ask questions like we'll have the answers to them because you know what you're paying for is our knowledge plus a really good cup of coffee plus transparency so you know exactly where it's come from you know the name of the farmer and, and where we got it from and when we roasted it and like there's no yeah there's no there's nothing hidden there whatsoever so um even the depth of you know how it was processed and all that stuff is becoming really really popular and um, I feel like that's just going to improve uh, as as the specialty coffee grows the industry grows so now we're in that kind of like fourth wave of specialty coffee so um, yeah I can only imagine like the transparency of, of where coffee is coming from and and what it's what has been done to that coffee and where it's traveled to and from um, is just going to become better and better so yeah Okay, so what other trends is Path Melbourne observing in the coffee space? With Melbourne's cafe-crazed lifestyle, are consumers only paying baristas to make their coffee when they're out and about? Or is there a newfound interest in buying the kit and making it at home? Lockdowns have really progressed filter coffee um, because a lot of people were forced into making coffee at home and maybe you couldn't afford or it was annoying to go out and buy an espresso machine which is expensive and so you know for under 100 bucks you can get a full pour over kit and, and make something work at home for way less money and get really really good results and so I feel like people being in lockdown and stuff and 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 brewing coffee at home has really progressed that and we've seen I don't know if it's just a coincidence or maybe just the knowledge is growing, but we've seen a lot, of, a lot more people come through and, and understand what we do, yeah, like more and more every day. A growing trend I've observed in my new hometown of London is decaffeinated coffee. Of course, yes, it's been around for a long time, but according to a report by Mintel, one in five coffee drinkers now regularly opt for decaf. Amongst baristas, decaf can be a bit polarising. In a cafe I used to work in, for example, the owner flat out refused to serve it. Does Path Melbourne serve decaf? Yeah, and it's something we didn't open with because of 
us not doing yeah milk like usually you're getting a decaf latte or something like that um but we found a really nice decaf filter that we're serving as pour over from criteria which is where we roast our coffee they have a co-roasting space um and they also roast amazing coffee but they have a decaf filter which is delicious so we, we use that and it's cool uh, i know like there's a tattoo shop down the road from us big market tattoo they obviously don't want to be too jacked up on caffeine when they're tattooing so they drink they drink the decaf and that's pretty cool yeah Another growing trend, or at least it was during my last trip home, was a coffee called a Magic. It was all the rage in pre-pandemic 2019. Unlike the flat white, we know for sure that this coffee was created in Melbourne. As legend has it, a barista stuffed up an order and instead of throwing it out to start again, called it a Magic and served it. The trend caught on. Essentially, it's a double ristretto, three-quarter flat white. Which, yeah, it's super nerdy. It's a, there's a reason that it's popular. It is delicious. Before leaving Path, I noticed it was selling cascara on the menu. Upcycling cascara has a strong sustainability angle, as it is usually discarded or downcycled into animal feed. I wanted to know more. Cascara is like the discarded outer shell of a coffee. Uh, so usually you don't make anything out of it, but you you can dry it and and make a tea which is which is the cascara tea we make a cascara concentrate and then made to order we we use that concentrate for a uh, cascara spritz which is with grapefruit cascara concentrate sparkling water yeah it's really um okay so before we move too far into the realm of mocktails i'm going to reel the conversation back onto the topic at hand hot beverage trends French chocolate manufacturer Valrhona has an impressive history. It was founded 100 years ago in 1922 by pastry chef Albéric Gironnet, who opened his first chocolate factory in the Rhone Valley. This is incidentally where the company gets its name. Rhone Valley translates as Valley du Rhone, which inspired Valrhona. The chocolate maker is based in the small town of Tain-l'Armitage, and today makes chocolate for pastry chefs and regular consumers, as well as hot chocolate offerings that it sells into retail channels. And unsurprisingly for this episode, it's this retail part of the business I wanted to speak to Valrhona about. Here's marketing brand manager for UK and Northern Europe, Marie Gonon. Hot chocolate has always been a big category for Valrhona and for customers. So all around the world, people are consuming hot chocolate, but we can see that it's kind of different way of consumption of hot chocolate on the market. So depending on the market, customer wants to get it less or more sweet, but as well thick or not, and more or less chocolaté. So we have a different demand depending on the country. And uh, for instance, if we compare the hot chocolate needs in Spain and in France, it's not the same at all. So we have to develop a specific offer for each uh, customer needs. And because of that, at Valrhona, we have developed a complete range of products to be um, adapted for all the needs. So we have a cocoa powder that we can use as well for pastries, but we can use it for hot chocolate to make liquid chocolate, but very intense and strong chocolate taste. 
We have an offer more thick that is called Celaya. So Celaya, it's a chocolate drink ready to be served. So you just have to, to put it in a microwave or in a, in a pot to, to mix it. And uh, it's ready to be drink. So super easy. And it's very, very intense hot chocolate. It's a great offer for a customer who are looking for a ready-to-use solution. And finally, uh, we have launched this year a new category that we call the Grand Chocolate which is a single origin chocolate. So basically, it's a chocolate that is grounded in small pieces and customers only have to, to put inside um, hot milk uh, that can be vegetal or animal milk. And uh, thanks to that, you can create a very smooth and intense chocolate drink uh, with a specific aromatic profile. It's a very interesting uh, chocolate. How does Valrona forecast trends in the hot chocolate category? So at Valrona, we are very close to the market and to customer. So we are always looking for the customer needs and the trends coming up. Basically, we are listening to the market. We are listening to the industry and looking um, about what is going to be the next trend, like uh, vegan, for instance, or sugar-free, as I just talked before. And then uh, we have our innovation team based in Saint Hermitage working on this kind of categories to be to be developed. So um, this is very important for us to always listen to the, the customer and uh, and yeah provide them the best solution. How adventurous can Valrona be in hot chocolate? Would you ever think about mixing flavors for example? At Valrona, we developed a new hot chocolate drinks category that is called the Grand Chocolate. And this is quite unique on the market because we are working around the origin of cocoa on hot chocolate drinks. Often when you buy hot chocolate uh, products on retail, you don't really have a specific origin offer or traceability on products. At Valona, we wanted really to, to promote and to, to develop a category promoting uh, an origin because it's the DNA of the brand. It's really, we want to, to push Cocoa having a full traceability and being totally transparent on the origin. So we have developed two products. The first one is from Ghana and the second one is from uh, Grenada. So both chocolates propose very complex and distinct aromatic profile, bringing new characteristics to the hot chocolate drinks. So both chocolates have a real uh, differentiation point in terms of flavor, and it brings a new way to, to try and to taste the hot chocolate. You really discover, you, you taste uh, the, the essence of the cocoa on this hot chocolate uh, beverage. So this new category is also very interesting. You can have a vegan option if you want to mix it with the vegetal milk. And uh, this is something that uh, we see as a big trend on uh, all the markets. The vegan uh, trend is uh, growing a lot. And this can be a real opportunity for customers to propose a, a vegan drink. And uh, in terms of being adventurous, we are lucky to have um, a Valrona School. So thanks to the Valrona School and Valrona Chef, we are developing a lot of recipes, uh, very unique, um, using like praliné, for instance, on the, um, on the recipe to make delicious and very tasty hot chocolate drinks. And this is um, very important for customers because when they are buying um, Valrona chocolate, uh, but as well Valrona um, hot chocolate offer, they can have a lot of uh, recipes to make a different and unique flavor on the beverage. You mentioned vegan hot chocolate there, and obviously that's a really big trend in 
the industry right now, but also in, in chocolate in general, chocolate blocks that you might see on the supermarket shelf. I'm wondering what other trends might be feeding through from chocolate into the hot chocolate category. In terms of trends in uh, chocolate in general, so as we just said, there is vegan, but there is a lot of other trends. So for instance, there is um, a big trend uh, that is not very important worldwide, is the sugar-free. People want to, to have the product good in terms of taste, but as well good for the body and for, for the health. So this is something we are, we are working on. We are working on uh, at Valrona since a long time and uh, we are proposing a lot of recipes to reduce uh, the impact in terms of sugar in the recipe because we know pastries can sometimes be sweet or some butter. So we are working on this trend. Another trend, and for me it's not a trend, but uh, what people are looking for is the transparency, like to know where the product is coming from, to know what is the history about the product, who is behind the product and at Valrona. It's something very, very important. We are we are 100% transparent and this allows us to be super close to the producer at the plantation uh, countries. And this is something very important. People are looking to get yeah, the full story behind the product and to know exactly what they are buying. Thanks to our sourcing policy, we are able to provide them uh, all the, the information they are looking for. Thank you, Marie. Some overarching trends there from all our speakers. The big one being sustainability. I'll be very interested to see how this plays out over the coming years as sustainability commitments ramp up and consumers demand more information about exactly where their food and hot beverages are coming from. Well, I don't know about you, but I have an urgent appointment with hot chocolate I just must race off to. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Food Navigator podcast. I hope you'll join us next time. 